0: I'm going to talk to you about Kingdom Influence and the second part of the talk that I did a while ago on salt. I'm now going to talk about light. Uh, As most of you know, uh, I grew up in a house where the church met. That was my upbringing. We had a a big house and uh, all the meetings for the church would take place in that house. And our house was always filled with people. And we'd often have people to stay uh, but, you know, at the wide variety of people that we would have staying with us, the ones that interested me most were that strange and unusual breed of people called the missionaries. That's what we used to call them then. Now we just say you've taken a trip, but it was the missionaries. I used to love it when the missionaries came to stay because their conversations were almost, always the most interesting. I just love hearing about everything they had to say about strange lands with their different cultures and customs, the bizarre foods and the amazing languages. And I, I used to love it, trying to say different words in different languages. And I know that I don't look old enough, ladies and gentlemen, but in those days, there weren't many pictures available of these different lands. Like today, you get Google's street map, and you can go down a street in a, in a country that you've never even heard of and see what it's like, but you didn't have that kind of thing, young people. So there was no more interesting part than the missionary slideshow. Do you remember those? People would come with these little slides and these projectors and then we'd project these big pictures, just like this, but older, onto the screen. And you get to see not just the different countries, but the people that we were talking about, these customs that we were hearing about, and we could see them. And we would get, we would have these evenings where we'd dim the lights, close the curtains, and everybody would squash into the lounge and we'd watch these amazing pictures and be transported. I loved that. And it was great, you know, hearing the stories, but there's something else to see them. Because seeing them somehow exposed us to a bigger world than we'd seen before mysteries that made us one. It's very impactful, especially as a child, to see these things and hear the stories. And I think it was back to those days that it was when God started to call me to preach. (coughs) That was when God started to speak to me about preaching and to prepare for it. Four years old, God spoke to me about one day I was going to preach. These things are important. There's just something about seeing that's so much more impactful. You see, people need something to see, to believe. Did you know? I mean, there's that phrase, isn't there? Seeing is believing. It's how we were made. And it's why when Jesus preached, he not only talked about the kingdom, he painted pictures with stories, and then he demonstrated its power with the miracles he performed. Seeing. There's something very important about seeing. And you know, seeing is only possible because of light. Which is the whole point of what Jesus said to his disciples in the passage we're going to look at today in Matthew 5. When Jesus said to his disciples on one occasion, he said, you are the light of the world. Because it's through Jesus' disciples, like us, that the world gets to see the kingdom of God. So today, in talking about kingdom influence, I want to talk about the impact of light and the influence that it gives us as kingdom people. So, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter five, I'm just going to read the verses to you, and we'll go on from there. So, Matthew chapter five, verse fifteen says this: "You are the light of the the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again?" So last time we were looking at the first verse in that reading there, verse 13, we were looking at that first part of the passage and our influence as salt, because you see, Jesus wants us to live salty lives and to make a difference wherever we are. As we saw, earth just wouldn't be the same without us. It's one of the bare constituents of earth, salt, and we're meant to make a difference. I'd encourage you to listen to the talk, it's on the internet, because it fits very well with what I'm going to say today. But what is meant by light? Why did Jesus say, say, you are light? And I just want to take you through this passage. There's no PowerPoint today, because I'm literally going to follow through the passage, and you can follow through it in your Bible as we go. So first, firstly then, verse 14, what does this mean? You are light. And again, as with salt, this is a matter of identity, it's what Jesus says about us that counts. See, the disciples haven't done anything yet. I don't know if you realize that at this stage, they haven't done a thing. They haven't preached, they've not healed anybody, they haven't delivered a single person from demons, but Jesus turns to his disciples and says, You are light. And this is because in kingdom thinking, identity always precedes activity and must therefore come out of who we are. Identity precedes activity, which means that all of the behaviors that Jesus then goes on to describe in Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, are not rules to follow, but they are attributes of kingdom people that Jesus expects to flow out of our lives, which is pretty amazing stuff when you read the Sermon on the Mount. It's not a list of rules. Jesus says, look, you are light. And because of that, because you are in my kingdom, these are some of the attributes. This is how you're recognizable. You're going to see these attributes coming out through your lives. And I think that's pretty amazing. But what is also amazing to me is what you are light as a statement of our identity really means coming from the lips of Jesus. Because actually Jesus pays his disciples an incredible honor in saying, you are light. Because Jesus is saying, you're like me. He's ascribing to his disciples attributes of God. Do you realize that? You are light. You're like me. Jesus is saying. The significance of light in the Bible, it's, it's well known. I mean, 1 John 1 5 says, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You see, biblically, God is the originator of light. As the creator, he spoke into the physical darkness of the world and says, let there be light. And for the first time, physical light appeared and the world, and the world of life became possible because without light, life isn't possible. See, as fundamental as salt is to the earth, light is to the whole universe. Without it, the earth would have remained formless and void. So it's the first thing that God did in creation. He he turned on the light. Well, he had to see what he was doing, didn't he? That's how I imagine it. Then, of course, Jesus came into a world that was spiritually dark, and it says that his life was spiritually the life of man. So John described Jesus as the light that shines in the darkness, in chapter 1, verse 5. And the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world, John 1, verse 9. And so Jesus says of himself in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Spiritual light equals spiritual life. Jesus says, I And the light. Jesus is the light of the world. Without Him, there is no light. Only darkness, both physically and spiritually. So light is the very essence of God and who He is universally and the brightness of Jesus' glory. And yet, He turns to His disciples one day before they've done anything worthwhile and He says, you are the light of the world. Do you under, see the enormity? That, can you grasp what that means? You are the light of the world. You. I take some coming to terms with. I mean, I thought, I think, I've been thinking about this. Thinking, well, Jesus could have used a different description or a different way of putting this that would be far more comfortable. He could have said. The message of the gospel I give you is light. It's the revelation of God. That would have been enough. Couldn't he? He just said, my message is revelation to the world. Go and preach it. He doesn't say that. He says, you are the light of the world. He could have said, look, I am the light of the world and you are the little lights. You're just the reflections and you're a bit like me. We used to sing this song when we were kids about "I'm a, you in your small corner and I in mine, this little light of mine. Jesus doesn't ever say that. He says, you and me, we're the same. You're the light of the world. Come on, let that sink in for a minute. Jesus tells us that those who are from his kingdom, also emanate his life. It's a matter of identity, and I labour the point because it's important. Do you know what kingdom that you are from, people? Do you know what it means to have been translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's Son? Do you understand the significance of what you were and who you are now in Christ? Do you know we need to keep reminding ourselves of this? What Jesus has done. What Jesus has made possible. Like Jesus. Same function. Same life. And this is a step up from salt, I think. You know, light has a very different impact on its environment to salt. I said last time that, that salt is quite subtle, really. I mean, you are salt. <sighs> It's kind of, well, you know when it's not there, I said. You you can kind of tell when something hasn't been salted, and then when it has been salted, you don't really notice it. It makes a difference, but it's kind of subtler. It functions without you hardly realising it, and we need to be salty as Christians. But you are light, I would suggest, is harder to dismiss. Because light has a positive impact. Light overcomes the darkness. Light goes on, darkness goes off. You know, you turn on the light, the darkness can't fight it. It just has to flee. You turn on the light, darkness off. It's positive. It has impact. And when you're in darkness, the presence of light is unmistakable. Uh, when we were kids, we went to a cave in Cheddar Gorge. And one of the things they do is terrify school children by getting halfway around the tour. And then they suddenly turn out the lights and make out that something's gone wrong. I have never seen so much darkness and felt so much terror in my life. But then the leader of the party turns on a small torch. And do you know that was only a small torch just to show that there was still somebody there? You couldn't see anything without that torch, but that small torch was able to completely transfer through, translate through that darkness and reach us. You can't ignore the light. It can't be hidden. So in terms of influence, there's a kind of a ratcheting up, I would suggest, in Jesus' teaching here, because I think it's much greater Which is maybe why Jesus uses different terminology when he describes light to what he describes salt. So Jesus says, if you notice there, you are the light of the world. It's different words. He says about salt, you are the salt of the earth. Meaning the soil. Meaning the things of the earth. Meaning every human being. But it excludes the sky. It's kind of quite linear. You are the salt of the earth. But when it comes to light of the world, the word that Jesus uses there for world is cosmos. Jesus says, you are the light of the cosmos. Oh my goodness, I've just lost it. And of course, earth is a part of the cosmos. But the cosmos also encompasses a far bigger place. It includes the sky, includes the heavens, includes all the stars, includes the whole universe. So a bigger impact is in view when Jesus is talking about the light of the world. It's a far more significant influence. Get this. Jesus... Seize the poor, the meek, the persecuted, the weak, you, me. And he says, you are the light of the world, the greatest influence in the universe. An influence which has cosmic proportions, one which is inconceivably vast. And I just want to pause on that for a moment because it's, it requires some big thinking to understand what we're talking about. We need a bigger scale in order to comprehend what Jesus is talking about because we're talking about influencing the universe. Can that be justified from other parts in the Bible or is this just a one-off? Well, I had a look to see. You see, a big part of the problem for us is that our view of God is too small. Like it or not, we just cannot begin to comprehend how big God is. We can't even understand the size of our own universe. I don't get what light years are about, do you? Did you know it takes eight hours for a sunbeam to hit Earth? So if the sun suddenly went out, we wouldn't know for eight hours, unless you're in England, of course because the sun never shines anyway. But we can't even begin to understand how big the universe is, let alone God, who's so much bigger and so much more powerful as the creator of all things, and he's outside of all of that. We can't even begin to understand it. So Paul writes about God who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ever imagine. So how much more is that? How much more can God do than that? Well, think about the biggest thing you can imagine. Well, it's immeasurably more than that. And I've got an imagination, you know? It's much more than that. I can exaggerate for England. It's much more than that. And added to this... I think not only is our view of God too small, I think we struggle to fully appreciate the supremacy of Christ and his full intentions for his kingdom and our part of it. I mean, I'm just touching on this. You understand, this is a very big subject. So, again, Paul writes about Jesus in Ephesians chapter 4, and he says, Jesus, who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe... Ephesians chapter 4 verse 10 and he goes on to say that it is his full intention that we all grow up to be mature which is the work of the Ephesians 4 ministries that we know about so well but we grow up in attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ who by the way is the one who fills the whole universe. Now that's some growing up to be done isn't it? I can see that you're amazed. That's some scale, that's some influence. Dave Devenish recently commented on this verse and he said our job description just got a whole lot bigger. (laughs) And he read these words by a commentator and a leading conservative scholar called Peter O'Brien. He says this, he says, Having achieved dominion over all the powers through his victorious ascent he jesus sovereignly distributes gifts to the members of his body and the building of the body the church is inextricably linked with his intention of filling the universe with his rule since the church is his instrument in carrying out his purposes for the cosmos So not only is perhaps our view of God not big enough, our view of perhaps the supremacy of Christ isn't quite large enough yet, we don't even get the church. Just in case you think I'm making that up, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything, we've just described what everything means, it's the whole universe, head over everything for The church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So what do you think it means when we pray and when we sing, your kingdom come? How much are we talking about? How big are we going here? I'm sorry, but this excites me. I've been obsessed by this. How big are you, God? I can't even get, I can't even scale it. And so I think that when it comes to you are light, Jesus isn't just talking about you in your small corner. He's not just talking about your personal influence or the more subtle flavor of salt. But he's talking about the corporate, for want of a better word, the corporate impact of the people of God nationally and internationally and throughout all generations and is in his ever-expanding kingdom in the universe for all time. It's not just about you. (laughs) It's not just about me. It's not just about our successes and failures. God has a timeline which exceeds our own. He's been working on it since the creation of time. And he's going to see it through. We need a much bigger picture of what God is up to. You are light, Jesus says. And you are lights in the universe. The most significant part of the whole story of what God is doing. One day we will be able to see it from the other side of time. And look back. And Paul says that we're going to be looking for the rest of eternity in awe at what God has done. Now that's pretty big. So is it any wonder that Jesus in the next verse says that this light cannot be hidden? How can it be? And now, having set the context, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says these words. Let your light shine before others. Verse 16. Bear in mind the context. Jesus says, in the same way. How can we do that? In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven in the same way bear in mind the context of where that light's shining right now in the same way get to grips with that realise your impact let your light shine before others and this is where it's all been leading Jesus wants us to let our light shine before others not that people will see us and say oh what an amazing person you are how lovely you are how nice you are What a lovely Christian person you are. It's not about that. In fact, Jesus warns us against that in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, because there you receive your reward on earth. You receive your praise from men. Now, Jesus says, we need to let our light shine, and there's something about seeing here. He says, so that they can see our good deeds. Firstly, our good deeds. Simply, that means... That the way we live our lives, remember what I said earlier about as kingdom people, that there is something that should emanate from our lives, which Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. Those are our good deeds. So it's as people see the amazing work that God has done in your life and mine, as we live like that and allow people to see the work of Jesus and see that we are actually quite different because we're from a different kingdom, it leads to something which is even more important. Jesus says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So that, and this is where Jesus has been going right from the beginning, so that they may glorify your Father in heaven. This is what you are light is all about. Are you following me? This is where Jesus has been building up. This is the first mention of his father in the book of Matthew. He then goes on to mention it 56 more times. But this is the first mention. It's all about seeing. That's what the light's for. But it's seeing something or someone very specific, your father in heaven. It's like the slide projector I was talking about at the beginning. The light shines through us, through our good deeds. That's like the slide. But it's to project to the universe a powerful and accurate portrayal of the Father. You see, when Jesus says, you are light, it doesn't mean, well, that means I'm this powerful, universal searchlight. And my role in life is to focus on and expose everything that is wrong with the world. From that place of moral superiority in my lighthouse, I point at the darkness. And I say, there is darkness. There is darkness over there and over there. I can cajole and I can condemn and I can preach at the darkness. Blast, beam, rant, protest. Do you know, the world doesn't need that. The world doesn't need the church's condemnation. You know, most people I find are pretty aware of how much darkness that is in the world, or even how much darkness (laughs) is in them. They're pretty aware of it without us pointing at them and saying, Those are your sins. What the world needs more than anything is for us to show that through our lives and the way that we live, this is what the Father is like. I mean, isn't that a better message than pointing out people's sins and telling them what's wrong with the world? I mean, isn't that truly good news? Isn't that why it's called the Gospel? Because my job is to reveal what the Father is like. I'd much rather do that. You know, I was in Solihull a little while ago and I was walking down the high street and there were some of those street preachers. And they were marching up and down the high street in my town. And they were preaching at the top of their voices, basically condemnation. You are all dirty, foul sinners and God's going to judge you. Repent. And I just thought, he is representing me. But even more so, he's doing a very bad representation of our Father in heaven because he's not like that. I much prefer to go out on the streets and say, do you know how much God loves you? Can I pray for you? Is there anything I can pray for? Do you need healing? Is there anything? That's what Jesus did, you know. He did speak a bit roughly to some of the religious people. But with the lost... He healed them, he freed them, he welcomed them home, he loved them, and we must do the same. The world doesn't need your judgment. Jesus was the light of the world because he is also the perfect representation of the Father. He even told his disciples, he says, look, anyone who's seen me has seen the Father, John 14:9. He says, there's no difference. If you want to see what the Father is like, look at me. If you want to know what the Father does, watch me. If you want to hear what the Father says, listen to me. Jesus says, I and my Father are one. I am in the Father and he is in me. Everything that Jesus did was an exact representation of the Father's heart. You know, when he picked up little children to bless them, that was the Father. When he forgave the woman caught in the act of adultery, that was the father. When he healed the sick, set the demonized free. When he multiplied the food. When he touched the leper, that was the father. That's what the father is like. There was not a single ounce of condemnation in him. Jesus says, if any of you is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Jesus was the only one who could have cast that stone and he didn't. And I'm so glad he didn't. He was showing us what the Father was really like. His life was the revelation of the Father to the world, and now he hands the baton on to us. And he says, let your light shine before others. Let it shine so that what we know to be true of the Father can be seen by others through us. That's what he wants. Which means, of course, that we need to know what the Father is like. We need to have a clear idea of what the Father is like. We need to know him incredibly well. Our church, our ministry, needs to reflect the Father's heart in all that we do. Are we like the Father? Are we like Jesus? You know, light can't be hidden in the darkness But as we were seeing last time about salt that can't lose its saltiness, it can get mixed up. Or it can get contaminated with other things and lose its dynamic purpose. While light, especially when it comes to human beings, can get a bit distorted. I'm just going to talk about distorted light and I want to just do it quite briefly. Because I want you to really think about this. There's going to be an opportunity at the end to pray for some people, but as you know, our time is limited today. But let me just take you through this, how light can become distorted. Think about that projector, again, that we started with at the beginning. And there are all sorts of reasons why light can be distorted. So first of all, the lens can get out of focus. The lens that projects, the light projects. You know how it works. It can get out of focus. So the way that we live, our good deeds don't match up with our identity. They're out of focus. It doesn't fit in with who we now are. You know, when our lives are not matched up with truth, things can become very blurred and confused. Why am I still doing that? Has anything really changed in me? Who am I really? It's out of focus. And we need to return to that. I know who I am in Christ. Out of focus. I shared this with you before, that one of the greatest breakthroughs in my life, one of the greatest breakthrough moments in my life, was when a pastor sat me down one day and said to me, my pastor, he said, you do know you don't have to do that anymore, don't you? You're a child of light. And I said, really? No, you're free from that. You don't have to do that anymore. Really? Yes, it's your identity. And the truth came in in that moment. Light went on, revelation came, and I was set free. Truth sets you free. It had become out of focus. Secondly, the lens can get scratched. You know, the scratches can get on the lens of our hearts because of mistreatment or bad experiences or things that we've been through in our life, even in church. You know, and our view of the Father is distorted by these experiences so that the picture we portray of him to others isn't clear. You know, sometimes it can be because of bad teaching, legalistic thoughts, God is angry with me kind of teaching. And there's a faulty understanding of God's grace so that what we portray to the world isn't the Father at all. It's something completely different. The angry God. I had that growing up, just a sense of God was always angry with me. We didn't have clear teaching in that area. And so we use the light in that situation to condemn others and to point out where they're going wrong. The brokenness in our own hearts, scratching and distorting the love of the Father, which needs to show acceptance and love and bring healing. Do you need some healing? Is your heart scratched? All the lens can get dirty. You know, you can be a Christian, you can have walked with God for many years, but there are areas of unrepentant sin, unforgiveness or bitterness that get into our lives, and it means that we're not free and that our joy isn't there, and so we've got this heavy heart. You know, kingdom people should know the joy of forgiveness and freely forgive others. It should make them light-hearted and generous with grace. To, them, to others because they've experienced it themselves. I can't condemn another human being because I know what God's forgiven me for. That's what it's like in the kingdom. That's what the Father is like. Let your light shine before others. Let. Let it. Deal with the stuff. Deal with the scratches. Deal with the hurts. Deal with the unforgiveness. Deal with that skewed version of what the Father is like. Deal with it. So that you can be a clear aperture of God's grace and a representation of the Father. Does your lens need cleaning? Does your picture need adjusting? Does your heart need healing? Or perhaps you just need a fresh revelation of the Father's love. Wasn't that what the worship was about this morning? Did you feel uncomfortable in that? Do you need a fresh revelation of the Father's love? Sometimes he just can't help but come and love us. And I know there was a time a few years ago where I would get very uncomfortable in that kind of situation. It was too soppy for me. But then he got me. And I'm as soppy as they come. Do you need to know that? You are light. And your influence has cosmic proportions. So let your light shine. No more hiding. Do you know sometimes when we've got pain in our lives and these are the things we hide. Adam and Eve did it in the garden. They were hiding from God as he was walking. They were afraid. The Bible says, Jesus says that those that are in darkness fear to come into the light for their deeds will be exposed. There's no fear in love. If you know God's love for you, there's no fear. You can come to him and let him heal you and let him restore you, let him cleanse you.